Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Sir, thank you, gentlemen, and some of the ladies that help as well that can't be here today. Uh, it, it is pretty remarkable what, uh, what we were able to accomplish um, just really two, two years ago this month uh, to kind of turn this into an, an online broadcast, and so our, uh, our heartfelt thanks to each of you. And as Ricky mentioned, uh, there's going to be some uh, kind of remodeling and some stuff being installed in here this week. If you can stick around for a few minutes after the service and help us move the chairs out of the way, because they're going to have to get a big lift and do some stuff up here in the sky this week, uh, we'd appreciate it. And I will forget before the service is over, because I'll get distracted, you know, with the sermon. So if you can help me remember, uh, we can move some chairs, take a few minutes to move some chairs um, at the end of the service today. I would appreciate your help. Um, I, I've said this several times. And we really mean this for for an organization like uh, Faith Christian Church to to operate and to function on a week in week out basis for us to do the the programming and ministry and outreach to our community uh, and to our nation that we uh, we want to be a part of and that we are a part of um, it takes a team and it takes a lot of people it's not just a staff that does this not just um, elders that get this done it is it is a team of people and so that's why we want to encourage you again and again and again and I'll say this till I'm blue in the face but I mean it we want you to find your place of service in or through the church someplace that you, you, you can, can be an extension of your walk with Jesus as you serve other people in or through the church. We have needs right now in our children's ministry, um, tech team, musicians, security team, all these places. If, there's, if, if you don't have yet have a place to serve at the church, I would love to talk to you. Brian will talk to you. Our, uh, uh, Kara and Noah, our children's pastor and youth pastor, they would love to talk to you. Any of our leaders, uh, anybody you see serving, doing something, just say, hey, how can I help? Someone would be glad to talk to you about how you can find your place in, of service in or through the church and we hope that you'll take that challenge and join us in that well we are moving on this morning in this sermon series that we're calling potholes the idea behind this series is that as we journey along the the road of life if you will there are these obstacles much like a pothole in a road that if we're not careful our lives will fall into and can do some real damage to our lives like pothole can do some real damage to your car and so by, by kind of way of guiding us through this, this, navigate, this idea of navigating these potholes, we are walking with Jesus between now and Easter Sunday morning, walking with Jesus during the last week of his life, through the events of the last week of Jesus' life. We call it the Passion Week. And it's the week that Jesus began on Sunday by entering into the city of Jerusalem triumphantly on what we call Palm Sunday, all the way through the cross on Friday where he was crucified, and to the tomb, and even through the tomb, through the grave, that we celebrate together on Easter Sunday just four weeks away. And so we, as we were walking with Jesus, what we we're seeing is that Jesus had to deal with emotions, Jesus had to deal with people, Jesus had to deal with circumstances. And as we watch how Jesus dealt with these emotions and relationships and circumstances, I think we can find some great principles, some great truth to help us navigate the potholes of our lives. And the pothole that I want to talk about today is loneliness. It's a lot easier to avoid the potholes of life, to get back out of the pothole of life, to, to mend the damage that's, that the potholes of life do to your life if you have someone around you, if you do life together with other people when you're not alone. Jesus knew this. He modeled this for us. 
during Jesus's three years of public ministry he surrounded himself with a group of 12 men and they did pretty much they just did life together they were around when Jesus did most of his teaching they they spent most of those three years together eating together laughing together traveling together serving together doing all these things together and of those 12 men that Jesus surrounded himself with three of them Peter James and John Jesus was especially close to they were kind of this inner circle if you will and they're the ones that Jesus entrusted with the most the ones that Jesus shared the most with and he had the closest relationship with and we all need that in our lives some of you will remember back in 1989 there was a really big earthquake that hit the San Francisco Oakland that Bay Area you'll remember because you were probably watching the World Series when the earthquake struck canceling some World Series games and one of the, 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 the biggest catastrophes in that tragedy was one of the freeways in the Bay Area collapsed and it killed 41 people just in the freeway collapse part of, of, the, of the devastation of this massive earthquake back in 1989 but when the engineers went in and began studying trying to figure out what happened how can we make this not happen again how can we prevent this from happening happening again here's what they discovered about that freeway that collapsed it wasn't a lack of vertical supports that failed what failed and caused that freeway to collapse was the horizontal support for those pilings it was the horizontal support that wasn't strong enough and many of you especially if you're in church on a Sunday morning I would even say most of us in the room and watching the broadcast right now most of us have already found a vertical relationship with God through Jesus most of us have, have low, we have this strong vertical relationship, but to navigate through the potholes of life, you not only need that vertical connection with God, you need a horizontal connection with other people. God made you to need relationships. So let me show you this morning just a snapshot from this last week of the life of Jesus where Jesus demonstrates this to us so well. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 26 this morning. You've got a Bible, you can uh, flip to Matthew 26. Follow along with me while I'll read it in a minute as we walk through it together. It'll be on the screen as well. When we get to Matthew 26, we find Jesus and these, these 12 disciples, these men that he's poured three years of his life into, built these strong relationships with. We find the 13 of them gathered together in the upper room. Now, Jesus knew that these 12 guys that he had traveled with for three years, he'd laughed with, cried with for three years, guys that he had taught and listened to, Jesus knew that he was going to be leaving soon. Jesus knew that the time of his crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection and then ascending into heaven, that that was all coming up in the immediate future. So Jesus knew this, and Jesus knew that when he was gone, life was going to be really hard for these 12 men that he had loved and he had poured his life into. He knew things were going to be tough for them. So just before he was arrested, just before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, this, this, this place of betrayal and, and dread, we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks. Just before that, Jesus gathers the disciples together in the upper room, and this room, this place becomes a place of bonding for them, of connection for them. Because we all need relationships like that. In our life notice what we see Jesus and the disciples doing. I'm gonna show you four things that they're doing that is causing them are helping them bond together the first thing we see is that they are serving together they are serving together uh, look look at Matthew 26 beginning of verse 17 
On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? <clears throat> As you go into the city, he told them, You will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, My time has come, and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. So once you see this picture, Jesus is sending the disciples on, on ahead of him to get the feast ready. This Passover, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, big, big deal, the annual celebration, uh, annual holiday, if you will, in the, religious, in the Jewish faith. And they have gone to prepare for this feast. They've gone to prepare for this festival to get things ready. They are literally setting tables and cooking and, and getting a room ready for the celebrated holiday. They are preparing for this. I think Jesus knew that they needed this experience of bonding together, of serving together, because great things happen when we get our hands dirty together, when we sweat together, when we roll up our sleeves and say, hey, we're in this together, let's accomplish something together. There's a great deal of satisfaction when you can look at what we did together. You, you see it when, when people play on a sports team together, a, a ball team together. You see it, this, this bonding that they have as they, they practice together and lift weights together and sweat together and get yelled at by the coach together. You see it when people pitch in to help somebody move and we're trying to figure out how to load washers and dryers and box springs onto the back of somebody's truck. You see it in that moment. You see it when, when we gather here during the holiday season to decorate this room and this building for Christmas and people working together and the music's playing and we're laughing together. It's hard work, but we're having a great time serving together. I see it anytime I've had a chance to participate in a show at one of our local theaters or local high schools. There's a, a bond that forms among kids and people who are working together for a common good. They have a common goal. They're trying to accomplish something together, and something amazing happens when they do that together. I see it when those of you who serve together around here, working with our kids or with our students or, or on our tech team or on our worship team or preparing a meal for a family together in our kitchen or, or in your kitchen. I see it when, when folks are, are working together to, to prepare a communion and make the coffee for our Sunday morning experiences together. You, you, you develop a, a little family with each other when you're working on something together. I see it with the groups of people that go on our missions trips together. And they go out to Arizona to the Red Sands uh, ministry out there and they sweat together and they serve together and they get bug bites together and they've even gotten sick together. But they travel, sometimes they travel with people that they have never met before. And they come home the closest of friends. Why? Because there's been this good-natured kidding and joking and this encouragement and walking with each other and sweating with each other and getting blisters on our hands with each other. There is a satisfaction when you stand back and say, look at what we did together. We were a part of that. We were a part of a team. Jesus knew that, 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 that people who bonded together would serve together. So he had his disciples work together to prepare the Passover to be held in that upper room. The second thing that brought them bonding in that upper room was that they ate together. We see the disciples and Jesus eating together. There is something to be said for sitting down at a table 
and sharing a meal with people. Look at verse 20. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve while they were eating. So the next bit of this snapshot happens with food in their mouth, literally. You don't normally, I've said this before, but you don't normally find enemies sitting down together to share a meal. Because meals bond people together. I'm convinced, and there's plenty of data to back this up, but I'm convinced that one of the biggest reasons that so many families in our world are struggling today is that they don't eat meals together. But one, one bit of research says that 80% of dysfunctional families will say that, say we don't eat meals together, we don't sit down together. So we make this a priority at our house. We, we make this one of our goals, do our very best in our home to have a meal together at least once a day. And we turn off the TV, and we put the phones away, and we share together. Now, sometimes this meal has to happen, even this week, had to happen at 4.30 in a scene shop at a local high school getting ready for a show over a bag from Wendy's. But we were together, and we ate this meal together, and we stopped before we eat, and we say a brief prayer. Thanks, God. God, God, thank you. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for this food. Thank you for your blessings to us. You know what? Every single one of you could do that this week. Every single one of you could do it. It's easy to do, dads. Dads, you could lead in this this week. Moms, moms, you could lead in this this week. Sit down together and just lead a quick one-sentence prayer before you eat together with your family. God, thank you. Three words. God, thank you. And then we laugh. And we talk about our day and we hear what's happened at school we find out what each other are struggling with what we're excited about what we're frustrated about what's next on the on the agenda for that day i'll be honest with you it's my favorite time of the day it's my favorite time of the day with my favorite people i don't know if you've ever noticed if you've maybe been in this room when we've had a funeral before when we come into a funeral and there's there's weeping there's solemn there's tears everybody is, is having a difficult time but after the funeral, usually after the funeral, there's a meal. And some of you have been busy in the kitchen preparing the meal for the family to share together. And people sit around tables, and they eat the chicken salad, and they eat the crackers and cheese, and they laugh. And they tell stories about the person whose life we're honoring that day. And we have fun remembering them and their legacy, and that is extremely healthy. This particular dinner with Jesus in the upper, upper room, it's, it's kind of like a funeral meal, except that Jesus hasn't died yet. That'll happen the next day. It's like a pre-funeral meal. And it was creating a bond between these disciples. If you are not bonding with people in your life right now, here's what I'd be willing to bet. I'd bet that you're not eating with people right now. So plan some cookouts for this summer, this spring. Take someone out. Invite the preacher over for steak and lobster. I'm, what, yeah, I'm good. People who eat together bond together. Here's the third thing that, these, that bonded these guys together was grieving together. Grieving together. While the disciples were sharing this Passover meal with Jesus in the upper room, Jesus says something that was very, very disturbing to them. Look at verse 21. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, 
one of you will betray me. Now, hold on a minute. There's only 12 of them, and it's going to be one of them. 12 men who knew each other, trusted each other, and now Jesus is saying, one of you is about to turn on me. One of you is going to go down a dark, dark path. Take a, take a, this is going to go sideways in a hurry, and it's going to be one of you. And so verse 22, greatly distressed, each one of them asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? You don't mean me, do you? It's not, it's not me. It's not me. This was very disturbing to, to, to them. They had walked with Jesus for three years. No one in this group, no one in this group would betray Jesus. And they knew for sure, they knew for sure it wouldn't possibly be Judas. Judas was the accountant in the group. Judas was the one who handled the money. Judas was the one they trusted the most. It certainly wasn't going to be Judas. And then on top of that, on top of this bad news that one of them is about to, to turn on Jesus, betray Jesus, we'll talk about this, by the way, next week. But, but on top of that, when John tells us the story in his biography of Jesus, John adds this detail that, that Matthew leaves out. John says that they also learned from Jesus in the upper room that night that Jesus told them, I am going away. Jesus is reminding them, I am going away from you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I'm going, you cannot be at this time. This was deeply troubling to them. This was, this was catastrophic, critical, critically bad news for them. And so they're deeply troubled. Have you ever noticed that sadness and grief and tears draw people together? Because they recognize in those moments that they get strength from each other, like the, 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 the horizontal strength of, of that bridge from that earthquake I talked about a minute ago. Families seem to be closer together when they allow their guards to drop, allow tears to flow. Someone once said that tears are the reflection of the soul. I like that. I, I read uh, recently the story of this housekeeper. Uh, she was a housekeeper for a very affluent family, had worked for this family for several decades as the housekeeper in the family, and, and the wife of the family passed away. So the housekeeper went to the funeral of her longtime employer, and someone said to her at the funeral, because they recognized her, they'd been in the house, they'd seen this woman in the house for decades, someone said to her, oh, I'm so sorry about the loss of your friend. And the housekeeper responded, we weren't friends. We were just acquaintances because we never shed any tears together. Friends aren't friends until they shed some tears. Isn't that true? Think about that. Think about the people that you are the closest to. I bet, I bet you've wept with them at some point in your life. All of us all of us face these major potholes in life that we come to that are full of grief where, where, where the roof caves in where it looks like there's this giant unclimbable mountain in front of us with no help in sight and god wants us to get through this stuff together and if you want to have somebody there to help carry your burdens when that time comes when you get that horrible phone call that changes everything when you get the wind knocked out of you, then before the crisis hits, before the phone rings with the horrible news, before the wind gets knocked out of you, you've got to be in a group of people before that point that will help you carry those burdens, those horizontal relationships to find that strength so your world doesn't collapse. And I am so thankful that I have people like that in my life. 
people who have been there for me and my family. Now, they don't normally have miracle cures for what's going wrong, but they sit right there with you. And they'll pray with you. They'll fix meals. They'll listen. They'll call. They'll text. They'll cry with you. I, I don't know how people survive without friends like that. Jesus shared this painful news in the upper room so that they could grieve together because that helps us bond together. Here's the fourth thing they did together that night. They communed together. You know this already. It was in the upper room that the Lord's Supper or communion was served for the very first time. It's in this moment that Jesus changes the Passover to the Eucharist. Let me read it for you, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. When we share communion, together in communion, it strengthens our relationship to Christ, but it also strengthens our relationship with one another. It unifies our relationships with one another. And isn't really that what our world and our nation really need right now? The unity of Jesus? Wouldn't that be amazing? Us coming together as a church and celebrating communion is the place that reflects unity to the world around us. Because when we share together in communion, we join together in, in, in a time of communion that unites churches of all stripes and all denominations and all tribes and all languages and all throughout history as one church in relationship with Jesus. Now, I, I, I don't think that the Bible requires it, but I really do count it as a privilege to be a part of a church where it is our practice and our tradition to meet around the emblems of communion every week, every time we get together on a Sunday. It is a central part of our worship every week. Every week we, we get to this special moment at communion that reminds us that you matter so much to God that God was willing to allow his only son's body to be broken and his blood to be poured out for you. You know, a lot of people have asked me, through the years that you know does, does this take taking communion doing communion every week doesn't that make it become routine doesn't it doesn't it make it lose its significance a little bit when you take communion every week not for you how, how, how can you tell someone that you love them enough how, how can you be told by someone else that they love you enough do you, do you ever get tired of hearing your child say mama i love you you never get tired of that, do you? You know, most people that I know eat three meals a day. I have literally, in my lifetime, I have literally had thousands of meals. Yet I can't remember what I ate two or three days ago. It's hard for me to remember. But I never approach a new meal saying, you know, I don't think I'm going to eat today because I ate yesterday. 
And if you start eating every day, then it's just going to become routine in your life, and it won't be so memorable anymore. It won't be significant. No, no, that's not how I approach meals. You don't get one of these from working out, all right? <laughs> of all the meals I've had in my lifetime, thousands of meals, of all the meals I've had in my lifetime, I can only think back to a handful of them specifically. And that had more to do with who was at the table than what was on the table. But I know that I benefited from, my body was nourished from every single one of those meals. They all nourished me. And so in the same way, every week, I am nourished as I remember how much I matter to God. And how thankful I am for this community of people right here that is the body of Christ of Faith Christian Church. Communion is a time to celebrate. And as you celebrate the forgiveness of your sins, you, you look around this room, you look around at the body of Christ, and you release grudges. And you offer forgiveness to those who have sinned against you because of the way that Jesus forgave your sins. And just like this sacramental use of, of bread and wine, in the sacrament, God takes something that is common and makes it holy. In the same way, God takes what is common in friendship and makes it holy. Friendship like the ones you have here. So just as Jesus eagerly desired to eat this meal with his disciples over 2,000 years ago in the upper room, Jesus eagerly desires to eat this meal, to share this meal with you and with me today. So we're going to do that. We're going to follow the example of those disciples in that upper room, and we're going to commune together. So if you're on our communion team this morning, if you go ahead and take your places, find those trays. They're going to begin passing those trays around to you while I continue to, to kind of wrap up this sermon. As those trays come around, take a stack of cups out. One cup has the bread, one cup has the juice in it. Just hold on to those for a few minutes. We'll get those and share those together in just a bit. When Jesus took the bread and the cup in that upper room, he gave it to his disciples, and he said to them, Remember me when you do this. Remember me. Why did he say remember? Was he afraid that they were going to forget Jesus? Like two days later, like, Jesus? Jesus who? Is that what he's afraid of? I don't think that was it. Here's what I think it was. I think it's the, us humans, people like you and me, we have this amazing capacity to forget what's really important, don't we? So I'm just going to ask you, if you have ever forgotten anything, if you've ever forgotten where your keys were, if you've ever forgotten where your phone was while you were talking to somebody on it, if you've ever forgotten where your glasses were only to find them later on the top of your head, if you've ever gone to the store and you forgot where you parked, if you've ever come to church and forgot to pick up your kids from downstairs before you got to your car, if you've ever started walking up a stairwell and stopped to take a breath and then couldn't remember if you were going up or down, if you've ever forgotten the answer to a test at school, if you would just raise your hand and say, I've forgotten. I've forgotten. Human beings have an amazing capacity to forget. So Jesus says, if you remember right what was real once before, what was real once before in your life will become real once again. I think that Jesus was afraid that over time our hearts would get cold. 
that we would take our relationship with him and this, this amazing grace that we're offered, that we would take it for granted. So Jesus said, remember. Remember. And if you remember right, what was real once before will become real once again. Communion is a time for you to remember when you first met God. Communion is a time for you to look around at the body of Christ and say, wait, wait a minute, I'm a part of a family. I'm a part of something bigger than me. I'm not just connected to God like this. I'm connected to God like this through other people. We're brothers and sisters. We're, we're the body of Christ together. I love this quote from Stephen Brown. He said, the world drinks to forget Christians drink to remember. So let's remember. Let's engage now in a time of remembering God's grace in your life, what he did on the cross when his body was broken, when his blood poured out over you. Thank him for the body of Christ and thank him for the relationships of the church. If communion is uncomfortable to you or unfamiliar to you, don't feel like you have to participate. But I want you to know that Jesus' invitation is always open to you. His grace is always available to you. His payment on a cross is open to you anytime, anytime you want to come in his direction. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples and said, take this and eat it, for this is my body. Then he took a cup of wine, he gave thanks to God for it and gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins Christ 